Welcome to Payne on Politics, a podcast where host Dr. Gregory Payne of Emerson College sits down with fellow experts to discuss the current state of politics, public opinion, and global affairs. In a world growing increasingly complex, communication and critical thinking is key. This only makes the Emerson motto, expression necessary to evolution, more true. Hello, this is Gregory Payne, Chair of Communication Studies, the first communication department in the United States at Emerson College. Very excited to have a colleague and friend and someone who represents the very best of the Emerson tradition as he's bridged it to be such a contemporary part of what's made Emerson and Communication Studies the fastest growing department at the college. Professor Ken Grout, who I think you are a relative of Southwick. Tell us about the Southwick recital. Well, thank you so much for having me. The Southwick recital is... It's an Emerson tradition, first off, that began in 1900, and it's come and gone a little bit through the years, but we have decidedly brought it back. And what the Southwick is, is a continuation and a modern evolution of the tradition of platform performing. And that idea is a single person presenting a short story, a poem or series of poems, a dramatic monologue, or in the case of our Southwick for this coming the fall semester, personal narratives. You know, one thing that's exciting, Ken, is I just got back from Barcelona, and we have a large contingent coming from our academic partner, the Blancarna School of Communication and International Relations. They're excited about this particular piece because even though they're very creative and I think very eclectic, they don't have this as a part of the tradition of Blancarna. Can you tell me from your perspective, someone who has just been such a devoted person who wants to promote this and make it more contemporary, Why is this such a special part of what makes Emerson so unique? Well, at its core, the Southwick recital is about performance studies. And quite frankly, performance studies in the field of communication, it doesn't get much more foundational than that because all speech communication, all forms of communication involve some level of performance. So the idea of taking that aspect of communications and really celebrating it gets back to the roots of what we all do. And we, I, we just cannot lose sight of that. You know, when we go down to the Helen Rose room, uh, of course, Helen was such a devoted advocate for oral interpretation, forensics, everything that makes the speech tradition so exciting. You can see people that were champions of the Southwick, Ken Cronell, Fran Lashoto, of course, Dorothy Prince. I talked to Vito Silvestri about how important it was for him. You have brought in a new facet of the Southwick, and you've done it through storytelling. Can you tell us a little bit about this new wrinkle of what makes this tradition so relevant to today's Gen Z generation? Yeah, I'd be happy to. The The first sort of update, if you will, that I did was I uh, not only allowed but encouraged students to participate. And the Southwick recital traditionally was an event exclusively for faculty and special invited guests. And I just felt that in this day and age, if we wanted to keep student interest going, it would probably be a good idea to invite students who had shown capacity in this regard to take part. And we've done that, I think, to universally great success. We've had students present, again, short stories, poems, dramatic monologues, and it's been a really, really wonderful experience. Last semester, we had two students talk about their personal narratives, which was one of the inspirations as to why personal narratives felt like the the way to go, if you will, the focus for this semester. So having students be involved has been one critical change. And 
another critical change is the inclusion of personal narratives. The idea of people telling their own stories is not necessarily something that was done in the traditional Southwick, but we've expanded it to give shape and give rise and give a place for this form to have a home on the stage because Quite frankly, there are few things more powerful than listening to people tell their own stories. You know, this last weekend, of course, I was uh, able to connect with John Anderson, who is such an important bridge. John, of course, has been part of Chautauqua. And as you know, I would love for the two of you to come up with a plan so that we could have the Southwick as a vital part of the Emerson tradition during the summer months. So I'm hoping you'll pursue that. But one thing I would also like to commend you for, Ken, is for those of us who've gone through, and I know you know this well because this is what inspired you, we had an entire Southwick on dementia and Alzheimer's. And I know that you told your story. You actually premiered that in Barcelona a couple of summits ago. And Katrine Gothels uh, talked about what it was like with her mother and grandmother diagnosed at 52. I told the story about being with my sister, who I think her life was shortened because of devotion to my mother, Zuline. Uh, when you talk about topics so close to even yourself as an individual and performer, how do you, as an artist, how are you able to so to keep your composure when you're telling such a vivid and emotional story. Well, uh, to be frank, you don't always keep your composure. But I think that's, quite frankly, one of the things that, that the audience responds to, that the audience connects with, is when a performer, when a presenter really sort of dials into their own truth and shares that. And, and sometimes that involves getting a little uncomfortable. Quite frankly, you want to practice and you want to prepare, but that, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be out there doing it and be overtaken by the subject at hand. I mean, when we did the dementia piece, obviously that was very personal to me. It was something I worked very hard on, and I'm not going to say that it was that it was easy to do, it wasn't fun to do, but there was a certain catharsis there for me, and that's important. So when you're talking, well, first off, I think you should be talking about personal stuff because I think that's where the truth is. I think that's where the good stuff is. And I encourage my students. I tell them, you know, you guys are just a couple years out of the horrible years of puberty, and that's where the good stuff is. It's in embarrassment. It's in shame. It's in guilt. It's in love and, and anger and rage. It's within those emotions is where our stories, our good stories, live. And so to be a, an effective storyteller, you can't go into it thinking, I better avoid the hard stuff. You know, what I, I find so compelling is, of course, when you think of Emerson, the one thing that the college has been doing since the beginning is storytelling. And I know when we began the legacy tours of going back in the back bay, we had you over at the first and second church in which you gave the history of the Southwick. We're going to be having an alum, Lee Schwabel, go over and see, once again, 21 Commonwealth, Beacon Street, etc. When we talk about roots, of course, you've had some Emerson experiences. Uh, can you give us just a little bit about a bio about what Ken Grout is all about, where you where you started and where you are today? Well, yeah, I, I grew up in western New York, so I was born on a dairy farm. 
Well, I wasn't born on the farm, but they were on the farm. And they got to the hospital on time, thank God. You know, from there, I actually went to college for music and business. And I went to Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, a good school. I actually talk about that a little bit in my upcoming personal narrative that I'll be doing this semester. And I came to Emerson in the 80s as a writing and lit major for grad school. Was an aspiring playwright and novelist, but uh, my journey took me in different directions. And I actually wound up in the private sector. I wound up working in government, and I did that for a long time. And when I came back to teach college, I was lucky enough to plug in my skills with what Emerson needed at the time. And I found a place. And three years ago, I was lucky enough to find a place here full time. And, uh, you know, I, I know this is an Emerson podcast, and I know you're the chairman of the department. But I will tell you quite honestly, when your the actions that you take intersect the intentions of your heart, even if you don't know it, once that intersection happens, it's a very powerful place to be. So I'm just very, very grateful that I'm here. And I feel I feel lucky, in it, but I also feel like I'm in the right place. And that's, that's pretty cool. I think what's exciting, not only given your experience and background, is the fact that you have Heidi Rose coming back. It sounds like I'm getting emotional, but I'm not. Heidi is uh, one of our best and brightest. She flourished. She did Southwick's with John Anderson, Mm -hmm. Ken Cornell, and was a very outstanding performance studies uh, professor at Villanova. She's been, of course, to the National Communication Association. I know that you've been invited to do Mm -hmm. some work there. So you have continued a tradition that many people were afraid was probably going to be just a part of yesteryear. So as a chair who relishes in the tradition because it's a bridge to the future and it distinguishes us, I would like to say a hearty thank you for continuing that tradition. We look forward to you performing not only at this year's summit as a tribute to President Carbonell, Mm -hmm. but also to continue to inspire our students from all parts of the college to come and to appreciate the art of the spoken word. So Professor Grout, gratitude from the past and the future for what you do. Thank you, Dr. Payne. I very much appreciate it, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Thank you from Payne on Politics.